Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the much-anticipated new Disney Pixar film, Soul. So Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Sure. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. <laughs> that summary is, is quite something. <laughs> An infant soul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so in Strategic Whimsy Experiment tradition, we will start off with our summaries for this film. Do you want to take it away, Sarah? Yeah. Mine is an animated look at the life of a struggling artist. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. And the the jazz musician uh, role was very intentionally chosen by the directors and and writers I was reading about. Yeah. So my summary is, take me to the sole new projects pitch meeting because the audacity of Pixar to tackle complex, abstract, and controversial concepts in a children's movie is ballsy. (laughs) I am floored that this movie was funded, got made, and is a children's movie. It's pretty impressive to me. But is it a children's movie? Like, True. I, I don't feel like it is. I feel like they went, you know what? We've given... Many, many movies that are just for the kids. We're going to do one for the grown-ups. <laughs> screw Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Screw Trolls. <laughs> screw Detective Pikachu. <laughs> We're going to make something that that will reignite adults' love for animation. Yeah, it's so true. I kept thinking about that the entire movie. I'm like, the, from the jokes to the concepts to the message, none of these are really for kids. They're for full-grown adults. Yep, yep. The parents finally got a movie for them. They've had to watch kids' movies for years. So, you know, Pixar's just helping them out a little bit. Which we've never had a kid guest ever on the Strategic Movie Experiment. And I don't know if that will ever happen because, I don't know, all the legal things with consent and their voices (laughs) being on the internet before they're 18. But um, I'm so intrigued to know how kids feel about this. I've heard a lot of full-grown adults that really, really appreciated this movie. But I wonder, is it? do kids find it just as fun? Are they captivated by these, like, cute little blue blobs floating around on the screen? And there's a lot of, like, visual humor still at play in this movie. So was that enough to captivate them? Or was the great beyond too terrifying <laughs> for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we can do a, a polling of, of the children yeah. in our lives, but... You know, I think if you're you're a certain age of kid, the cute little blue blobs are really, yeah, really fun. Enough. And and mm-hmm. that's enough. And, you know, again, Disney is brilliant at its marketing. So they're probably going to have a bunch of little blob toys that are just going to be sold out. So good for Disney. So there will be hundreds of thousands of young kids that will be going to bed at night with a little infant <laughs> soul. Cuddled up in their arms as they drift off. <laughs> yeah. Zone. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. As long as nobody like thinks about it too hard, it'll be fine. And so there's like a, 
an age group of kids that are like a little bit older. They're not like young enough to just be captivated by like bells and whistles and, you know, slapstick type of comedy. Um, there's the, the kids that are asking bigger questions, they can grasp abstract concepts. Like there's so much that happens in this movie that as a young child, just beginning to learn about things like purpose and the afterlife, like being the parent <laughs> at post movie <laughs> to wrestle through all those questions is a really interesting um, conversation that I'm like hypothetically playing out in my mind. <laughs> but I love that this movie can potentially prompt those conversations to happen at all. Um, yeah, but yeah, I feel I how those kids are understanding and grasping this movie. Yeah, I feel bad for the parents who were just like, bah, it's Disney. We're going to put it on. I'm not going to watch it before. <laughs> and then like afterwards, it's like, mom, what's the meaning of life? Like, yeah, okay. This is probably one that you want to watch first and strategically plan when to show your children. <laughs> <laughs> like mom's just trying to like get dinner on the table yeah. and kids like, mom, why are there so many creatures that are called Jerry? Are they all the same person? <laughs> or are they representations of the same being, but they express themselves physically in different ways? Like, I don't need, I can't even grasp that as a full grown adult. Or like, mom, are you a lost soul? Am I a lost oh, soul? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of questions that could come from this. Yeah. Is Uncle Dan a lost <laughs> soul? Because he kind of looks like he's in a trance all the time. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know about you, but watching this movie, I had Inside Out in my mind a lot mm -hmm. as I was watching this. They both tackle pretty uh, complex, abstract, incredibly abstract concepts uh, that honestly, like human beings for centuries have been trying to figure out. And I, when I compare the two of them, I think that Inside Out is a little bit more thought through in the rules of the universe, the world building, and kind of the symbolism or the implications of the events that happen than Soul does. But I have to say, like, I applaud Pixar or Disney, um, everybody that was part of this team for taking the risk to create something that is so controversial. I mean, the, the, the idea of the afterlife, whether you believe that the afterlife exists, doesn't exist, what happens after we die, that is a huge question. And for these creators to say, we're going to tell a story that tackles that is, is, is so impressive to me and kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, I, I also kept comparing it to Inside Out. And I, I love Inside Out for so many different reasons. And um, I think maybe that's why I didn't enjoy Soul as much as I thought that I was going to. Um, I thought that Soul was okay, but I really didn't think that it was as masterfully created as Inside Out was. Um, there are some good elements, but I, I think what, what happened is they, they got a little confused along the way, or like they tried to include too many things yes. and you know it it might have been that they lost their purpose in this movie along the way <laughs> um but I I like you I think that it was a, a noble effort I 
I just didn't think that it was quite there. I, I, I think that it needed just a little bit more mm. polish on the script maybe, or, um, just a little bit more work and then it could have been like phenomenal. It's still a good movie. It was still entertaining. There's still a lot of good elements in it, but it isn't as excellent as I was hoping it was going to be. Yes, I completely agree. And and thinking about it a little bit more, what Inside Out does really well is uh, bring you into these different parts of the brain, the human brain and emotions and like exploring these worlds, like the subconscious and memory and things like that. It does it in a way that fuels the plot and the character arcs while also revealing new revelation to us as the viewers. And I felt like there were interesting concepts in Soul and interesting characters, but the the relationship between the concepts and world building and then the character arcs felt a little bit disconnected. Um, and so it's like, like you mentioned, the pieces are there, but had they been constructed, revealed, perhaps timed in a different way, I think it would have been a little bit more impactful. So things like 22's character arc and her becoming a lost soul, I felt like came, oh, actually, should we... Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Soul yet, we are about to spoil it also, by this can point. You, can you spoil like a Pixar movie? I mean, aren't they all pretty much the exact same? True. I didn't see 22 becoming a lost soul coming. So that's why I was like, oh, okay. well, hopefully that will still be a surprise for some folks. But that moment comes so late in the film that it was hard for me to still be as invested in that. I think it's a brilliant concept and the way that her relationship with Joe and the, his words had this impact on her and um, fueled the lies and insecurity. Like there's so much there. It came almost so late in the game that we didn't have time to unpack that fully. And so there was a lot stuffed in, um, some of it not explored as much as I think we, we could have. Uh, and I, I feel like Inside Out really masterfully captures the character arcs and the world building and these concepts and unpacks them in interesting ways all woven together more seamlessly than soul does absolutely absolutely um and i think they're the the filmmakers were relying on us uh empathizing with 22 but she's really not all that likable. Like, she's just kind of grumpy, <laughs> which I'm like, hey, girl, I get it. I'm grumpy 98% of the time. So, like, that's cool. But mm. I, I think you're right. Like, if they would have um, maybe spent a little bit more time with us building empathy with her, we could see her 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 turn to a lost soul. Just if that was stretched out a little bit more then maybe we'd have more empathy for her character. And then that redemptive turn for both her and Joe would have been a lot more impactful than it was. Cause you're right. It did feel really, really easy. Cause didn't they set up like the world where the, the guy in the, the pink boat, uh, like he could only come at like certain times, but then like all of a sudden he's just available at, yes. Yeah, so or like it has to be thin enough. Yeah. To create the hole to the earth. Yeah. So again, like like you were saying, like they set up these rules, they built this whole world, and then they went, we're going to ignore the rules because it serves our the purpose of the script, and that's just so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Go listen to our Wonder Woman. Yeah. Exactly. If you <laughs> if you want more examples of deconstructing the environment, the world that you created. <laughs> 
<laughs> Except Soul is a much better movie. Leaps and yes. bounds better. Yes, yes, but yes, yes. Those broken rules are, are just so bothersome. Because why set up the rules of the world if you're just going to break them when it serves the script? That uh, It's just annoying. Yeah. And I didn't actually expect to compare Inside Out so much to this movie in our episode, but I guess it, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. one of the things that Inside Out does really well is that uh, the relationships between like joy and sadness specifically mm-hmm. have their story arcs, but they are always supporting this larger purpose and mission of let's rebuild these like, what is it, happiness centers or some, something like that. Those Those little – uh, bridges to like family and hockey and whatnot for Riley. And it was always in this larger purpose of we want to help make sure that Riley is better and back to her normal self. And then they both have these character developments and conflicts along the way, but all of that serves this larger purpose. And I felt like we didn't have as much of that with Soul. Um, for most of the film, it's Joe getting back to his body, but then it kind of takes another detour to helping 22. And so it kind of felt like I had to divided loyalties or I had to all of a sudden take all of this emotional investment and transfer it over to this other character um, versus both of them having a clear purpose, um, fueling a larger purpose, and they both have their individual smaller arcs that fit within that. I'm imagining like an outline in my head, a structural I outline. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Um, and I, I think I think part of the problem is the choice of a jazz musician as the main character, as brilliant as that is. And I absolutely love that. And that the jazz moments were definitely my favorite part of the whole film. But, um, you know, the the stereotype is that musicians are very selfish and they're about their music creating it their way and that's exactly what we see in Joe which is very true to form for many musicians but it makes it I think the way that they set it up it could have been a little bit stronger if they have just paced it differently because we spend so much time with him and his selfishness and then he finally gets what he wants, but then we're not able to fully explore how unfulfilled that moment made him. Um, So I think if maybe we would have had a little bit less of their foolishness of running about New York City when he was a cat and had more (laughs) of like on the end, then it could have been stronger for both character arcs you know I I think again it's just a a pacing issue they just kind of misuse their time too much time in the cat chapter oh my gosh (laughs) honestly like when when we saw them like falling toward Joe I was like oh shit he's gonna go into the cat and I'm gonna completely disconnect from this movie and that's exactly what happened yep (laughs) Pretty much. I uh, just started watching Up recently. I haven't finished it yet, um, but I had never seen it before. And the way that they're able to communicate so much through that opening montage, which is like super famed at this point and everyone knows the opening Up montage and it's a gut-wrenching uh, 10 minutes, they could have done a lot uh, more of that and and maybe move the plot along in a more efficient way by showing moments where 22 is experiencing life and connecting to earth and 
um, done something a little bit more elegant and graceful and more efficiently than us literally going through every scene with her in the barber shop with his mom, um, sitting on the steps, eating pizza. Like there's so that part is so long. Um, so I think your analysis of it is pretty accurate. <laughs> it would have gained more time. Yeah. It was so long. Like it just dragged on and on. And like, I don't know, like I kind of appreciated the the idea of it in that like the the enjoyment of life comes in the little moments. It's not in these like super high highs, but it's in those moments like walking down the street in the fall or watching the leaves, you know, change color or whatever, you know, like it's in those little yeah. moments, savoring a slice of pizza. So I I liked that, but I, I think we got the point after a few <laughs> of them. We didn't need, you know, whatever, 30 minutes of Joe and a cat complaining that he's in a cat. Yeah. There was a lot of a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of complaining. A lot yeah. of facial expressions from cats. A lot. That they probably animate. Man, it was just that it was just excessive. <laughs> yeah. And I think that moment that you mentioned where Joe finishes that set with Dorothea Williams. And this was his dream and he kind of built up so much meaning and satisfaction and sense of accomplishment of that, what he thought that moment would bring him is so, so accurate and so wise mm-hmm. to include in a film that truly is for full grown adults because this film debunks a lot of our obsession with reaching milestones and um, believing that our accomplishments, our successes, our dreams will finally make things right in our life or it is the missing piece. And until we make it that just like one more rung of the ladder, that's where our life begins or that we've been waiting for. And the way that this that soul was able to communicate that, that sense of emptiness, like, okay, now what, was just so, so good and further confirms that this is truly not a kid's movie. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> but like, I I really empathized with Joe. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. get it, bro. Because I'm usually <laughs> focused on, you know, the the next thing and like not actually enjoying the journey to the next thing. So like, I, I get it. I just, man. There, there was so many other things that they could have done in this film to just make it more impactful for the adults. But you know what? It was a good attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to mention and talk about the fact that this is the first Pixar animated film that features a Black African-American protagonist. Yes. Like, that is awesome. Um, I was kind of doing some just digging into who the team was that created this film. Um, and it was in fact directed by Pete Doctor, who directed Inside Out and Up and Monsters Inc. and a bunch of other things. But in my uh digging, I came across some things that I I, I loved about the creation of this piece of work. Obviously, there are some maybe some some things that can be improved and, you know, we're on this journey of trying to do better. Um, But I loved that Pixar 
created what they called an internal culture trust, um, which is, I think, a play off of one of the structures that they have set up at Pixar, which is called the Brain Trust. It's like this space where you can openly critique and um, create a sense of artistic, honest feedback for the work that folks bring in. It's like a peer review process, but meant to be a lot more honest and authentic and create like a space of vulnerability. That's so cool. Um, yeah, really, really neat. Pixar, which I think want to hire us? Like we'd be happy to share feedback. <laughs> this is our uh, Jen and Sarah version <laughs> of this brain trust, which we do every every week here on the podcast. We happen to record them. Um, and we we critique not our own work. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the things that they set up for this film was an internal culture trust. And it composed of Black Pixar employees. They hired several consultants. And they had a lot of folks who were mus- musicians, folks like Quincy Jones, um, David Diggs, who were also featured in the film, of course. But they, I loved that they were intentional about going to the communities that they're representing. Um, and I, th- I would love to hear more from folks that do come from these communities on how, how do they do in representing them. But I appreciated that part of their creative process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see how much has changed over the years. Like when you think that, you know, yes. a, a movie like, like Pocahontas or Mulan, you know, like those didn't come out all that long ago. Um, which were largely made by white people and whitewashed his- history. So it's it's nice to see that, you know, Disney, Pixar, they are taking these steps to better represent their their characters. You know, I, I hope that this is, um, while it's the first, I hope that it's certainly not the last because the, the level of, of quality and the level of intentionality uh, even in the artistry, you know, not to caricature all of these black faces and and not to make um, them, you know, kind of lighter skinned, but to show this all the 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 gradient of hues that we see in in the black community is is really intentional and is really beautiful. So I I hope that we see more of that and that more of that intentionality going forward because. You know, that's that's how America looks now. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that Disney and Pixar are finally getting with the program. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It reminds me a little bit of um, the Academy Dialogues and specifically the one between Whoopi Goldberg and Brian Stevenson, um, who wrote Just Mercy, which was then created into the film. And they talked about how just having folks in the room and creating diverse teams helps create an environment where folks can at least start to catch things before stuff goes out the door and just like raise their hand and be like, wait, why are we doing it this way? Or why are we creating a character like this? Or why are we having this portrayal and depiction? Um, The value of diversity in creating better art is, is so, so true. And I hope we see more of it because it's, it's so important and critical, especially for all of the young kids that are from black communities or African-American communities and watching these films from a young age and being able to see themselves represented on a big screen. It, it's important and it matters a lot. 
And I think especially, you know, coming out of 2020, where so many artists, so many musicians were put out of work because of the the pandemic and and quarantine. So I, I think this movie is kind of perfect for this time um, to show the importance of music, not only to enrich your own life, but also to enhance somebody else's life. Um, and, and the fact that art and music can bring people together. So I just, I, I think that this is an important film for this moment and especially heading into 21. Hopefully things will open up and, and artists like Joe will be able to, to get back to their gigs and these things and people will maybe have a deeper appreciation for seeing live music, for seeing jazz um, than maybe we've had in the past. Yes. Oh my gosh. The scenes of the jazz club. Yes. So good. I mean, I, on a technical level, was so impressed at the animation quality and the level of detail that was in everything, like in the lighting, the way there was a scene where 22 sitting on the steps on the streets of New York and the way that the tree and the light and the shadows were all done with such a realistic quality was so impressive to me. Um, speaks to like the observational eye that these animators have and also the like technology um, advancement that we've had in the past couple of years. It was so, so beautiful and, and so real feeling. Yes. And to even film it in such a way that um, like the black skin tones were able to be clearly seen because um, you have to just film differently than you would film a Casper color person like me. So the fact that they were so intentional with the tones that they used to make these characters look so good, so vibrant, so beautiful. Um, it's really, really impressive and really just a joy to watch those little details that they included. Yeah. All of those details together really add a lot. There's um, that YouTube video I think it's called bump the lamp or something like that and it specifically details a small scene in a film that's escaping me the one that like mixes the real life um with the animation do you know what I'm talking about it's like the rabbit oh, oh god Roger Rabbit who framed Roger Rabbit who framed Roger Rabbit yes and there's a specific scene where yes. there's a lamp that's bumping and swinging back and forth and it it like unpacks and analyzes like how much detail is in all of the ways that the light is hitting like everything from like the ears and the thickness of the bunny's ears to the way it hits the wall and just the the kind of thesis of the video is that bumping the lamp and choosing to go the extra mile and and all of the extra work that goes in um to create all those details that ultimately come together are all worth it. And I feel like this film is such a great example of that as well. Oh yeah. You see little things like that all throughout, you know, these extra little details that they added and, you know, it, it's kind of amazing how much technology has improved over the past few years, you know, like mm -hmm. I remember just a few years ago, like we were amazed at, you know, Toy Story and like all of these things. And now yeah. if you like go back and watch some of the older animation, it's kind of like, whoa, we mm -hmm. have come leaps and bounds in the last, I don't know, however many years. Yeah, that's so true. All right. 
There's a lot more to unpack. Where should we go to next? Oh, man. There is a lot. Where do you want to go? Let's see. So one of the things that I thought was a really interesting concept that I appreciate about this film, and it was very Inside Out-esque. It reminded me a lot of that like really intriguing way that film as a medium, but also this like imaginative world is able to take abstract concepts and kind of uh, make them feel a little bit more tangible was the whole like lost souls concept Um, and kind of the the world building and rules that were built in um, and showed to us in this movie. So everything from the way that uh, both people that are like lost in their music, in their sports, in something that they're doing and entering that flow state, which they call the zone, I believe, in this movie, um, is also a very similar place that these lost souls are also inhabiting. It was a really interesting concept that I, I, I really think that had I not watched this film, I may not have connected the similarities between that same level of feeling disconnected from life One is in a very positive way. You're reaching this almost like ethereal, eternal type of uh, state, Um, this dreamy state. And then this other is like you're disconnected, but there's a lack of awareness about all the life that's happening around you. And I think the joke that they used in uh, Soul was with the investment banking finance guy who's like gotten two hours of sleep, like droning away at his computer. Um. The way that Soul is able to create this this imaginative uh, visual of that zone and the lost souls and then also being in this um, flow state and connect those similarities was really fascinating to me. Um, I think it's a lot of the value that Inside Out brought um, and that Soul is bringing to the table as well. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have put those two things together because one is like so positive and one is so negative Uh, but we really do see those similarities and and it's also interesting how you know Joe is kind of both of them you know like you can see him teetering on both and Mm. you can see kind of the alienation in his own life too and it's not until he's able to take those steps toward community, you know, acceptance from his mom, you know, connecting with the guys in the barbershop, you know, like all of these things. It's not until he is able to find community that he is then able to help 22 be freed from her lost soulness. So I also thought that that was an important thing to to be able to connect Joe with both of those uh, extremes. Interesting. Yes. And only until he's able to realize that for himself is he able to recognize a need and connect with 22 Mm -hmm. as well until then he is kind of lost in his own mission to get back to his body and make the gig and fulfill this dream of his and he's unable to see the the need that she has that he's able to to partner with her on so good yep and then the in the very like ending scene, which we didn't have enough time to unpack and would have loved more time to, to dive into, but was the way that uh, Joe's words began to, to fuel these insecurities and lies that 22 um, 
had been honestly probably struggling with for however many of centuries or years she was existing in um the the great beyond or what's it called the u u center u center the u center and i think it's a it's a powerful way to show one the impact of our words and how they affect other people and for him it was in a moment that he didn't really recognize and kind of took him some time to see the impact and power of his words but two the way that these insecurities and lies about herself uh, fueled 22 becoming disconnected and isolated from her surroundings and she too then became a lost soul and you see the way that you know she's like lashing out and trying to continue to push people away and I just feel like that is so accurate to the way that lies about our own identities and insecurity fuel and spiral um, in our own lives I've definitely experienced that before you just kind of get lost in all of these things that you're believing about yourself that just aren't true um, and it's hard to fish yourself out of that space and that that headspace and that mental space. And the way that the film was able to kind of create this like dust spiral around her and then yeah. she becomes like this dark uh, figure, I think was, was pretty powerful to see and watch. And I know we already said it, but I, I really wish that they would have done more uh, put more emphasis on this um, because I think you're right. That's so powerful, not only for kids to understand the power of their wor- words, but for adults to understand the power of their words as well. And I think that this, it was a missed opportunity because Joe's mom had been harping on him for years and years and years. And so Joe kind of believed that he wasn't good enough, even though he was pursuing, you know, this music thing, he had to keep it hidden. And so even his mom's words, and then finally her, her affirming him and her deciding to support him was so powerful in his life. So I just wish that the film would have done a little bit more to connect those two things. Um, Because he, I mean, he wasn't, you know, a dust monster. But he was hiding and he was isolated and he was alone. And so I, I just feel like the, the film could have done a little bit better job connecting those two things. Um, Cause it, it definitely, you know, like you, I, I identified with 22 when she was the shame monster. So I, I wonder how many other adults, you know, really empathized with that. But I also wonder how many adults were able to make, the connection and and see themselves in Joe as well as the one who had been hurt and then decided just in a moment of weakness to hurt somebody else. I don't know. I feel like the film could have done just a little bit better tying all of that together in a nicer bow. Yeah, I think so too, especially because when Joe brings the little tiny uh, maple seed to her, and places it in her hands. And that is the thing that crumbles all of these lies and stuff. It almost felt a little bit too easy. And it wasn't earned enough. And as we were talking about earlier on in the episode about, you know, the arcs of Joe and 22 feeling a little bit disconnected, that could have been a really powerful way to show the way that he recognized a wound in himself and how he has grown from that to then be able to reach out and 
bring other people along and extend that same um, encouragement to others because he had gone through something similar, which is so true of the way that we as humans connect and grow. Like we, we learn something and we're able to pass it on and then others have learned things and it's just like a constant give and take and share together. Um, that would have been a really powerful moment to show the way that humans connect over their journeys that they've come and then also where they're trying to go next. Mm -hmm. Instead, the whole time I was just trying to figure out what that piece of trash was. So (laughs) I kind (laughs) of missed the heartwarming part. It's a cute little maple leaf. (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea. I was like, is that like a leaf of a bug? I don't know. Like, what is this thing in your hand? Why are you carrying around trash? And if you were confused, you bet believe that five-year-old, six-year-old <laughs> kid is like, okay, so why is he giving that to her? <laughs> and how did that magically crumble yeah. the sand around yes. her? Yes. This is a great question. <laughs> why, like, is she, is her spark trash cleanup? I don't know. Is mm-hmm. she going to be, like, walking around with a little pokey thing, cleaning up litter <laughs> around New York? I was, I was very confused. Also, why the maple leaf and not the pizza crust? You know, maybe she has it's a blueberry filling as well. You know, but like, so it was it was the pizza crust, and then she had like a quarter of a bagel. So maybe maybe she has yes. a gluten thing. So like, it was, it was uh, too much gluten. She just she couldn't keep eating bread, which is very very sad. You know, yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> also, I'm sure like a rotting pizza crust is not inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a half-flicked lollipop that's still sticky. Like, that's pretty gross. <laughs> How did you get that out of your pocket, buddy? Yeah, nothing magical about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that whole concept is is quite – It's great. quite well done. Yeah. Pieces were so there that just a little <laughs> bit more, and it could have been just yep. purely magical. Yep. Less time with the cat. Yeah. So can we talk about for a hot sec how the great beyond looked t- absolutely terrifying to me? <laughs> and I'm wondering how kids feel about it. They're like, ooh, the light. To me, I'm like, from the very first scene, we see these little tiny souls, which we're meant to believe were human people, are just like disappearing boop, into the like giant <laughs> orb of light as this like, almost like, hallucination music is playing in the background like that was I was not a fan I like Joe could empathize I did not want to go there either you were running as far away from the light as you could I was running with him (laughs) don't go toward the light yeah yeah I I that's a good question I'm I'm gonna have to ask around and see because I, I really didn't think anything of it. I, I thought it was an yeah. interesting way to portray it. I, w- I was really interested in this, like, staircase pathway that they had. I thought that that was really interesting. <laughs> and then, like, the way that the people were were on it. So, like, I had questions because he first runs into, like, three people. And so I was like, yeah. okay, did they all die at like the same time? Or are they like like stragglers? Like what's going on here? And then he goes into like a whole crowd. And so it was like, oh, did a lot of people die at one time? Well, then what happened there? So again, I'm focused on all the wrong things that you're not supposed to be focused on. 
Yeah. I was over here like, oh my God, the light's getting closer. <laughs> bro. <laughs> no, I just wanted to interview all the little blue blobs. Tell me about how you ended up here. What was your yes. final memory? What was your date of death? Let's discuss. <gasps> but what's interesting is that, you know, I think generally death is not a topic of conversation to bring up casually. It's generally seen as a, you know, it's morbid. You don't talk about it. It's sad, which yes, it is. But it was interesting to watch the way that this film slowly almost reframes death as a, uh, our awareness of death as a motivator to live more purposely with, with the time that we do have. Um, as someone who comes from the Christian faith, like that is such a powerful thing for my own life. Like recognizing that our time is so limited, our 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 t- or the end of our time is coming, and that drives me to live a little bit more purposely. It almost kind of realigns my my priorities in my life when I get too much uh, in that tunnel vision, like like Joe you know, focused on what are the things that I want to do and accomplish and all these things, it realigns my priorities. Um, But I'm curious your thoughts on that reframing that this film does, uh, because generally the topic of what happens after we die is not one that's talked about over pizza and beer on a Friday night. Um, It is a topic to be avoided generally. (laughs) you're just not having like morbid conversations all the time (laughs) maybe if you're like five beers in it comes up (laughs) all our subconscious fears are just you know tumbling out of our mouths who could say i'm gonna load you up with beer one of these days and we're just (laughs) we're gonna go for it and then we'll watch soul like slightly (laughs) tipsy it'll be great (laughs) yeah then i might be freaked out by the great beyond like whoa what is that thing but I, I, I think you bring up an interesting point, and I, I do wonder how this might help maybe, maybe take some of that sting out of talking about death, you know, especially, I'm going to bring it up again, 2020, you know, we've had, what is it, over 350,000 Americans die from COVID. Like that's, that's an enormous amount of death that we cannot fathom, you know, so there are hundreds of thousands or millions of people out there who are mourning the death of a loved one. And I can't help but wonder if, if seeing something like this could maybe help have those conversations with, with, with parents and kids. And I know that it's a tough conversation. I wouldn't want to be responsible for having that conversation, but I don't know, maybe that could lead to taking some of the stigma out of it. I. Maybe I have more uh, morbid conversations than you do, but I remember a couple of years ago I was I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the death of her mom, the death of my grandma, and um, that conversation was so helpful. And we both kind of walked away from it wondering if if we talked about death, if we talked about endings, maybe a little bit more often, then it wouldn't it would still be hard to process through and grief is a very real thing, but I don't know, maybe it would be less isolating. Maybe we would be able to work through these things better if we 
if we had the conversations, if we explored things that are explored in soul, maybe, I don't know, maybe we could process through death better because it does happen. It is a part of life. Um, but we really, really struggle to respond to it well. Yeah, I completely agree. It and it's it's interesting because it's 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 in conjunction with this idea that, you know, a lot of our society is currently captivated by, which is like living in the moment, being present. Um and I think talking about death is is uh, a part of leading us to that that realization of wanting to live purposefully and appreciate the moment. But truly just living in the moment without thinking about our lives as a whole and um, what happens after we die. And if so, like, how do we want to spend our time? Um, I think we'd be remiss to, to do that because I think the things that we might decide to spend our time doing would be different if we thought about it in the context of, I have a limited amount of time and it will end versus I'm just going to do whatever I want right now because I'm living in the moment. You know what I mean? Um, our priorities and our actions and then what we do with them might look a lot different had we thought about it in a 10,000 foot view versus just trying to tell ourselves every day that we should be living at the like five foot view and just focus on the moment that we have now. There might be a little bit more um, purpose and thought and wisdom in what we choose to use with our little moments on earth. And that's why I like the way that this film ended you know, Joe's final line is something to the effect of like, I'm going to live life. And I, I read when I was researching this, that one of the earlier drafts was like, I'm going to enjoy life. And I think that that shows that, that difference in viewpoint that you're talking about, you know, if I'm focused only on the moment, like carpe diem, like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy every moment. But maybe if we're more aware and thinking more holistically about our lives and how our lives affects others and, you know, that, that 10,000 foot view, our, our perspective is going to be a little bit different and not just seeking momentary gratification or momentary enjoyment, but actually truly living, uh, which is a little bit different. Yeah, that's so true. And there's a moment in this film where Joe is walking through his life essentially with 22 and he sees those little vignette moments. And I think it doesn't, the film doesn't explicitly like explore this outright, but I, you see on his face that he's having that realization, like, what did I spend my life? How did I spend my life? And was that what I wanted to spend my life doing? And so it's almost like talking about our death and the the imminent end of our lives almost forces us to also think about what we want our legacy to be. How do we want to have loved while we were here? Um, how did we contribute or improve the world around us? Like these bigger questions than just, I'm just going to enjoy this burger to the utmost ability that I can, which we should do. Um, but it reframes those questions, as you said, from momentary gratification to these larger, potentially bigger purposes that um, influence what we end up spending our time doing in those smaller day-to-day -day moments and hours. Yeah, yeah. This is this is such an adult movie. My goodness. Right? 
Did you ever think that we were going to have this deep of a conversation about an animated film? Like, we've maybe probably talked about death at some point on the Sure Future Films Experiment. <laughs> but never did I think it would be a Disney animated Pixar no, movie that would never. be the one where we're real in-depth. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there are always deaths in Disney movies, usually of a parent. God, it's so traumatizing. But Usually, like, falling into an abyss. <laughs> Yeah, no big deal. It's fine. I'm still scarred from Mufasa falling into the ravine and being trampled to death. It's okay. But man, this just frames it so differently. So I wonder if if the adults who made this were those kids who were traumatized by death portrayals in Disney movies and were like, okay, I'm going to correct this. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I wonder if some of the intention of this film also comes from just the the modern age that we're living in and the fact that our the pace of our lives and the amount of devices and things we're able to be distracted by have just increased exponentially over the past like 50 years um where we almost need moments like this piece of art to get us to realize like wait let's stop for a hot second think about these bigger questions because when we're in the day-to-day and we're able to scroll through a social media and distract ourselves it's it's harder for those moments to even enter in our minds and prompt our thoughts oh absolutely and i i i love that this film is clearly in modern times like he has a a smartphone but there's there's not a lot of that there's not a lot of technology and that's just kind of refreshing (laughs) to see um Mm -hmm. You know, even even from the students, you know, in in his band class, they were screwing around like kids do, but they they weren't glued to their screens. And that was just I don't know. It was just kind of nice. Definitely a break from the norm that we see today. Yes. So watch this movie and then go watch Columbus and you will oh, just watch yes. Detox. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm always ready to go back to a flip phone, but I, I that's just me. It's fine. I love it. I'm I'm here for it. Yay, I have one supporter. <laughs> so I'm curious your thoughts on the very last ending scene, which is essentially Jerry, one of the manifestations of Jerry, uh, shows up and Joe is headed to the great beyond and he the the big round orb of light is heading closer <laughs> to him. But he gets an opportunity to live again. And I think the reason that Jerry gave was because they'd never seen such kindness or such impact on another um, young soul or something like that. He was apparently outstanding and deserved to be resurrected. What were your thoughts about this ending? And I thought it was interesting in my research to discover that this ending was rewritten many, many times mm-hmm. and was undecided up until like some of the last screenings of this. They had some manifestations of this ending where Joe and 22 were reunited on Earth, some where Joe was headed to the great beyond. Um, what were your thoughts on the choice that they went with? Yeah, I I feel like they had to go this way. You know, like as I was watching, I was trying to like map it in my head. Um and figure out like, okay, what are the different ways that they could end this and it could still work? 
And I, I think that they chose the best ending that they could. Um, I really love how open-ended they, they left it. You know, we, I, I would have hated if Joe and 22 were reunited in person. I feel like that was not the way to go. Um, but I, I love that it left it open-ended. So we don't know if he's going to go back to, you know, uh, doing gigs with Dorothea. We don't know if he's going to take the full-time job teaching at the middle school. We don't know what he's going to do. And I think that that was the best way that they could have left it so that we can fill in the blanks uh, with what we think that he did in order for him to truly live his life. Yeah, I would not have wanted to see a soul uh, not a soul of Joe and 22 reunion. I feel like it would have been too much cheese on an already detail driven and overwhelming movie with many concepts. Like it would have felt a little bit um, out of place. I thought the fact that they almost gave him a, a second chance is really interesting because it raises a lot of interesting implications. I'm thinking about this from the mind of a kid as well of, so do I live a second life if I've been exceptional in the U center? Like, um, what are the implications of if my soul gets to continue on or not? Um, the concept of like being brought back to life is, is kind of fascinating and, and whatnot. So, I just imagine that that tiny ending scene bringing up a lot of like open questions and threads to for all the poor parents out there that have to impact it with their kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, that I'm not a parent and I don't have to answer these questions. <laughs> but I was just thinking like, is that like, how did he just like come back into his body and then he's fine? Like, like his his we're presuming that like his heart stopped and he was dead and then he's just like magically reanimated again and is like Boop, I'm fine I can like run around and do all the things like I was just I think once again I was trying to apply logic to a movie that you just can't apply too much logic to uh <laughs> but you're right it does bring up some some interesting questions and kind of that you know, that, that meritocracy of if I do enough yeah. good, then I will earn X. Yeah. And this whole system has made an exception for him mm-hmm. because he was exceptional. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I would have maybe wanted to see it a little bit different. I, there's some like implications and messages that I feel like that sends across that I raise a whole bunch of questions. Um, Perhaps him being a mentor at the great before something would have felt a little bit better to me. Like he's clearly demonstrated that he has this gift and has learned selflessness in helping others achieve their potential, which we as viewers of movies always love to see characters like step into that and thrive in that. Um, So maybe like he gets to use his gift for good until – eternally I don't know like I think I would have liked that ending a little bit more the the whole like you're exceptional therefore you get exceptions thing don't Mm. love it you know what they could have done they could have made Joe 
like a like a uh, a great beyond security consultant because clearly their security was lacking in many many forms because he was able to run along the little staircase thing and like jump off of it and then end up mm-hmm. with like the little souls and then he was able to impersonate a mentor like what is their screening process what happened to the actual mentor like he could have been a security consultant help the jerrys uh to to shore up their issues because they clearly have a lot of issues and they have one person who's counting souls with an abacus are you kidding me this is not effective folks this is not the way we do things he can be the great beyond hacker (laughs) and get paid for the bounties there you go bounty hunter joe (laughs) (laughs) i still want to know the answer to the question on what do the jerry's represent if someone can tell me i'm excited i'm sure there's like probably tons of reddit threads on oh i'm sure i'm sure (laughs) you can just dive into that rabbit hole i will leave you to that uh (laughs) i was just like oh that's a it's quite an abstract something or other okay this is weird yep yeah i don't get it i don't know yeah but visually i loved the way that they were represented it left a lot to our imaginations to fill in like they were just like almost two-dimensional line drawings and patterns which is so cool Mm -hmm. very neat and I loved the difference in in animation depending on where we were in the Mm -hmm. grand scheme of things like earth was different than the whatever the great before and then the the in between when he was going between worlds was also animated different so so creative yeah so good One thing that I also found incredibly uh, unique about this film, I think we've seen moments of this in other Pixar films, but the quality and the level of sophistication for the jokes and the humor that are littered throughout this film, the references to prominent figures in history and uh, stereotypes and archetypes, it was incredibly impressive. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun to stumble upon those in the randomest of scenes throughout this movie. Yeah, they were really good inside jokes. Like, you know, you you have that in Disney movies and they're kind of like, I don't know, there's a, there's a small smattering of them throughout. But this one, it really was made for adults because yes. the jokes, there's a plethora of them. And some of them were actually really funny. Yeah. Yeah, really well done. I was impressed by that. Mm-hmm. I did not expect to have as much uh, sophistication in them as they did. Yeah, they were really witty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think part of that comes from Tina Fey also, because that's just kind of like her brand of humor, and she helped write Twenty Two. So I, I think a lot of that can be attributed to her. That's true, and a lot of her delivery. Um, and pacing of that helped a lot as well. Yeah. The fact that she chose the voice of a middle-aged white woman just to annoy people. That was great. <sighs> so good. And very uh, hip with our current times. I mean, I know this was written several years ago. But this whole, like, Karen concept that's come up. Yeah. Like, very fitting. Yep. <laughs> good stuff. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Any last thoughts, shout outs, mentions? Yes. I would like to give a shout out to uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who are the composers for this. And mm-hmm. they were also the composers for Mink. So, <gasps> no way. That makes so much sense. Yeah, sure <sighs> was. So, like, there are certain kind of like melodic commonalities between the two, which was really fun to listen for. And then um, I also want to give a shout out to John Batiste, who is the one who wrote all of the jazz pieces. So the fact that these three musicians who have such very, very different styles were able to create in a way that it felt seamless throughout just Mm. is incredible. Yes. Ah, so good. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack. I just want to go to that jazz club. Yes. Yes. See see Dorothea Williams. (laughs) Like dimly lit. Mm ambiance of that jazz club yes i i just can i just make that my permanent residence that'd be great (laughs) your writing spot yes it would be oh my gosh it'd be wonderful yeah the right (laughs) amount of movie and yes awesome i have one uh little shout out to a scene that i didn't expect to resonate personally with but i was like transported back to um conversations I've had with my parents in childhood. And it's the scene where Joe is talking to his mom about his dreams for him wanting to be a jazz musician. And she's essentially talking about the fact that he needs to think about financial security. And she says some line that sounded a little bit like you can't eat dreams to stay alive or you can't eat dreams for breakfast. And as Someone who came from immigrant Asian parents, that is like resonated so much with me and just like the the lectures and conversations I've had from my parents in my childhood. So it was a moment of like, oh, we're from such different communities and yet there are still so many things that are similar and that can be connected across across these different communities and, and uh, uh, diverse cultures. So that was a cool moment. I was like, oh. I feel like I'm like reliving my my childhood in that moment. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, I I felt similarly. You know, I <laughs> I I left my job in the middle of 2020 to pursue creative things. So this whole movie, I was just like, Joe, I feel you, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, this this offer of like stable employment of 401k health benefits like all of that and he's just like man that's not what I want I'm like yes I feel so seen in this moment like (laughs) so it was cool to see you know a a creative person portrayed in that way I feel like we don't we surely don't have an animated movie about that um yeah so it was just I don't know it was cool yeah it was really really neat Mm mm-hmm Ah, oh, love it. Well, shall we wrap up? Let's do it. Okay. Well, this is our review of Soul. You can find it on Disney Plus, or I believe you can um, add Disney Plus as an add-on through your Hulu subscription. Um, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection. It's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. 
This is our strategic whimsy experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review, letting us know your thoughts about soul and today's episode. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film One Night in Miami, which was actually written by Kemp Powers, who also was a writer on Soul as well. So that's pretty neat. What a time for him. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you soon. Thank you.